Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for this honor, for this privilege to be able to speak with you guys. I mean, for Ozark to let a 20-something know-nothing come up here and to share with you something that I have received in the last five years. And truly, that's what this is. Everything I want to give to you guys is nothing but what I have received from Holy Spirit-filled people on the floor, Holy Spirit-filled people in the classroom, Holy Spirit-filled people all in Joplin, and in my entire life that I've experienced. This is just a time where I get to give to you. I love Josh's example yesterday of praying to make sure that my glory, my honor, um, doesn't get in the way of God's. So I want to follow that example and, and pray before we begin. So if you can bow your heads with me, please. Father in heaven, you are so big. You are so amazing. You are so kind. You are so aware of what people need, deep inside of what they need. I ask King Jesus that you would increase and that I would decrease in this time. And that this would be beneficial for your church at large. I submit to you and ask for your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. As Matthew McBirth told you, we're still in our series of Left Behind. This idea that when you come to Jesus with this, you leave it behind for this. Caleb Boyston started us off really well with the idea of we come with idolatry, but we leave that behind for divinity. Uh, becoming more like God because we have his image. And then Josh Greger came and talked about how we come with comfort, but we leave that behind for commission, for God's mission in our life. Today, as he said, we're going to come to God with independence, but we're going to leave that behind for interdependence. What comes to mind when you hear independence? Is it the 1996 classic Independence Day starring Will Smith? Is it the, the statement, strong, independent woman? Is that what comes to mind? Right? That comes to my mind. I'm going to be honest. Like, that comes to my mind for sure. Is it when you were a youth and, gosh, you just got your permit and you were ready. You were ready to be independent from your parents. Like, what comes to mind? Do you think of the United States of America? Like, our family, yeah, I see Stephen over there shaking his head. Like, the independence of declaration, what is in our story, what is in our narrative as a country. Independence is a big word in the context of America. And many would agree with that first reaction of the United States of America. Alexis de Tocqueville was a French writer that traveled to America in order to observe democracy. And he put all those observations in a book called Democracy in America. Some of those observations were really positive, like really good things that he noticed. And some were not so positive. I want to read you a quote from his book. He says, I see an innumerable multitude of men alike and equal, constantly circling around in pursuit of the petty and banal pleasures with which they glut their souls. Each of them withdrawn into himself is almost unaware of the fate of the rest. Mankind for him consists in his children and his personal friends. As for the rest of his fellow citizens... They are near enough, but he does not notice them. He touches them, but feels nothing. He exists in and for himself. And though he still may have a family, one can at least say he has not a fatherland. Oof. That observation can be true today. But he wrote that in 1831. Can you believe that? It sounds like he's, he's narrating what he sees today. But that happened almost 200 years ago. 
But I would agree that you could see that today. In fact, it was even getting worse. And what he just explained was the manifestation of independence. Independence on a personal and extremely practical level. Boiled down, independence is this belief that everything that I need to live the life I desire, a fulfilled and successful, enjoyable life, is found from within and only within. That everything I need, independence broke down, that everything that I need for the life I want the most is found within me and only me. If you have your Bibles with you or a device, I would encourage you to open up to Luke 19. Luke chapter 19. In this story, we're going to see independence at work. Um, And as we finish the story, we're going to see its counterpart, the transition, um, the miracle, the restoration that takes place. To give you some context as you turn to Luke 19... Jesus just did a miracle outside the gates of Jericho. He just healed a blind man. That's a big deal. People are still freaking out about it. That's still in the atmosphere of like, whoa, God is doing some amazing things through this man. And having done that right in front of Jericho, he now enters inside with that same air of who is this guy? What is he about to do? And because of that, crowds are surrounding. When we read the story, it's going to be a habit for you to think of just two people in the story. Jesus and the other character that will be introduced here soon. But you have to remember that he's attracting crowds of people. The people of Jericho are there as well. So looking at verse 1, we'll start together. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. I don't know about, I don't know if you grew up in the church and you've heard this story before, but I've always imagined Zacchaeus as this, you know, short, somewhat portly fellow, right? That when he ran, he looked really kind of goofy doing it. That when he climbed the tree, he was like, oh, that silly Zacchaeus. He has that kind of, like that goofy, silly vibe to him. That's how I've always pictured it. But we can't miss the description that our author gives to us as chief tax collector. Caleb Coltenbach was here a couple chapters ago, and he gave us some historical background on tax collectors. And I kind of want to repeat that teaching real quick. One of the best things an empire could do to, com- to repeat the narrative to a conquered area that they do not belong to themselves anymore was initiate taxes, initiate a tribute to the Caesar. Because think about it, every time they would make that transaction, every time that they would give the money that they need to live off of to a tax collector to give to Rome, they would be preaching the same wicked message over and over again, that they do not belong to themselves, that they are a conquered people, that they are oppressed, that Rome is their daddy, and he's going to make sure that they remember that. Every time. Tax collectors were kinsmen, were fellow Jews that were the preachers of this message. That every time they asked for that money, they were reminding them that they were possessed. That they were reminding them they were owned and oppressed at the same time. And Zacchaeus here is the chief one. He's not only doing it, but he's in charge of other people doing it to his own countrymen, to his fellow Jericho citizens. He's a wicked man. This is a very vile human being. A very selfish human being. That's our Zacchaeus. That's the character we're dealing with here. Let's continue in verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once welcomed him gladly. 
All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And a sinner he was. You're dang right he was a sinner. Jericho, or I'm sorry, Zacchaeus saw the life that he wanted. He saw the financial stability he wanted. He saw the comfort he wanted. He saw the wealth he wanted. He saw the life that he wanted. And for him, the ability to obtain that life was found within himself and only himself. It's not crazy for him to to get to the place where he starts taxing his own people. And it doesn't get crazy for him to even exploit them in those taxes. Because the life he desires the most is found within him. So he didn't need the people of Jericho to get there. That's independence at some of its worst. When you can start to harm and oppress other people because the life you want the most, you don't need them to get there. People of Jericho see the problem. We see the problem in Zacchaeus' lifestyle. The question is, what's the solution? Read with me in verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I really want to emphasize the importance of this situation. When Jesus called uh, Zacchaeus down from the tree and gave the self-invitation over to his house, he gave Zacchaeus the platform in which to go from independence to interdependence. Here's why I say that. When he gives a statement of repentance to Jesus, Jesus is not the only one listening at this time. The same crowd that muttered, he is a sinner, that I'm assuming Zacchaeus heard, and that's why it prompted his repentance to Jesus, because he knew the condemnation was right. The same crowd that muttered, he is a sinner, is the same crowd in earshot that can hear this act of repentance too. And because that, two things have happened. One, when he gives this repentance, this changing of direction to Jesus... Jericho is now able to keep him accountable to that repentance. Remember, Jesus is passing through. He's not going to stay here and disciple to Zacchaeus and make sure he keeps to his word and teach him the Old Testament. That's not his intention. He's passing right through. However, the people of Jericho, they've heard the repentance. They can keep him accountable. And two, the people that he exploited, most likely he did it into their own poverty. And because of that, this fourfold giving back to them is probably going to be the asset, the resource that they need to actually live healthy family lives. So not only are they going to keep him accountable from his repentance, but they're the recipients of his repentance. In this one moment, when he gives this proclamation to Jesus, he has shifted from independence to interdependence because he realizes that the life that he wants, the life worthy of someone like Jesus to go eat with, he can only get if the people of Jericho are involved. He can only get if they are there to help him keep him accountable and if he is there to give them the assets and the resources that he exploited from them. Interdependence is a giving and a receiving. It's this idea very different from dependence. The goal, the goal is not to go from everything I need to live this life is found within me to everything I need in this life is found within you. That's the extreme. That's where you don't want to be. That's how you lose yourself. That's not the goal. No, the goal is to get to this. I actually have resources in myself that are beneficial. I actually have strengths and gifts and talents that are helpful. 
But instead of you using it just for your life, you're realizing that you can actually give that and help other people for theirs. And at the same time, you recognize the lacking that you have and that what other people have in them that you don't, you need for your life as well. It's this giving and receiving. Some of you, some of you are really good at receiving. You're really good at going to other dorm rooms on the floor and just asking for food. You know who you are. Some of you are really good at receiving as much help and as much uh, generosity as possible. You're really good at that. But you're not too good at actually giving. You're not too good at recognizing your own strengths, your own giftings, your own talents, and how that plays a part in your community. And that's a step you're going to have to take. Some of you are really good at giving. You're really good at serving. You pour out for people all the time, all the time, all the time. But you're not that good at receiving. They try to give you a gift. They try to give you a thank you of some sort. And you don't receive it. You deflect it in the name of humility. That's just as damaging for community as the other one. No, no. For community to work as Jesus designed, there has to be a giving and receiving. There has to be a give and a take. That's, that's interdependence. When thinking of an example of interdependence, one that came almost immediately, on, it was on the top of the list, was what has been going on with the scrutiny of Ozark. You guys have been aware. You guys have been receiving the emails, hearing the announcements from Matt Proctor. Here was the situation. Matt Proctor and the leadership team played their part well. They play their part by communicating clearly to us and by asking us to not be ridiculous on social media. And then in response, we played our part well by not being ridiculous on social media, right? That was the give and the take. Interdependence took place, and because of that, the scrutiny has gone down quite a lot since the beginning of the semester. Real quick, I want to take a moment in light of everything that our leadership has done and what Matt Parker has done to kind of like give them an applause. Can we do that real quick? Because like that was amazing. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys so much. Yes. To have the president of our Christian college stand up here and give appreciation to the sexual minorities on our campus, that's unheard of. That was amazing. I've been wanting to do that for so long. Thank you guys for doing that with me. Really, really appreciate that. That's what interdependence looks like. This, I have something that you need, the communication, and then you have something that I need, the response to that communication, the not being ridiculous part. That's interdependence. Martin Luther King Jr., in one of his speeches, um, says this. He says, I can't be who I ought to be until you are who you ought to be. And you can't be who you ought to be until I am who I ought to be. For Martin Luther King Jr., one of the keys to racial reconciliation in the nation was interdependence. Because once you realize that you need people of all different colors, of all different backgrounds, then it is that moment that you can stop dehumanizing them. I'm going to say something strong, but I mean, I, I think you guys can hear it. It's not a rebuke. Don't worry. I'm not here to quit. My Christianity cannot exist without you. My Christianity cannot exist without you. You know what? Yours can't exist without me. 
If there's one thing that I could give you to put in your pocket that you can hopefully take out in different situations in your life, is this. I need you. And you need me. I need you. And you need me. Actually, if we can, I would like us to say that together. I want to say it and then have you repeat it right after me. I need you. And you need me. One more time. I need you. And you need me. If you can ingrain that into your soul, dig it down deep into your mind, stick it to your heart, let it change the way you live life, let it change the way you see people, I promise you'll experience a joy and a peace you never thought was offered to you. Life will become a lot easier to live when you realize that you're not living it by yourself. Mother Teresa put it best. She said, if we have no peace, it's because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. I don't know where you're going. I don't know if uh, you graduate in a couple days, right? Or if you have four more years to go. I don't know if you're going back home to California or Colorado or you're staying in Joplin. I don't know. I don't know what your next steps are. I do know this. God has given you an abundance of people that you can give to and that you can receive from in your different communities. You just have to want it. You just have to go after it. I need you and you need me. The question is, can you believe that?